Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years and she has done an amazing job um also did you know that meals more comes in a digital format you can download it on your phone read it wherever you're at so hey be sure to check them out mealsmore.com and uh you know hey tell them ty sent you i'd be very grateful mealsmore.com all righty friends welcome to the everyday mealmanship podcast if this is your first time listening, my name is Ty Evans, and I'm super grateful that you're hanging out with me today. It's Mule Tip Tuesday again, and uh, man, we've got a lot of great questions here, and I'll get to those in just a second, but I want to talk about a trip that I just got back from. I spent uh, last week in Wyoming, beautiful Wyoming, uh, western Wyoming, and uh, with great friends, great mules. And just spectacular country. It just felt great to get out and enjoy the mountains. And, um, you know, who you ride with makes such a difference. And, and that's kind of what I want to mention today for today's mule tip is to pick good friends or be the type of person that good friends pick you. Um, because man, people make such, such a difference in your, in your life. And I can't remember where the quote come from but basically it goes you know don't spend too much time with people that don't lift you up and make you better and that's not saying that you shouldn't i mean you need to be a person that can lift people up and and help people for sure but if you know you become who you hang out with and so you know, if you want to be an inspirational person, you need to hang out with inspirational people that way when you're with people that need inspiring, you can inspire them, you know, uh, but if you're always hanging out with people that bring you down or that I should say that don't lift you up, yeah, pretty soon you're going to start matching that. And that's unfortunate. So pick your friends wisely. I was so blessed to be able to ride with some great people last week. Uh, these men are just amazing, very inspirational. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about this week was every evening, uh, my pal Keith, who was in charge of this whole ride and gathering whatnot, he had, he'd put together a little program basically where we'd have dinner. We'd have some cowboy poetry, have some stories, have some, some music. And, somebody would share an inspirational message each evening. And one evening I give one and, uh, but, uh, it was really fun to, to listen to these men and, and the advice they offered. And, and then just to be around people that lift you up and make you better, you know, um, that, that can push you to be better, inspire you to be a better. And I'm not just talking about mulemanship, although this is, it's definitely part of it. That's why I'm sharing it with you. But I'm not just talking about mealmanship. I'm talking about just life too. Just, just being a good person. 
Because I know for a fact, if you're a good person, a good human being, you will be exceptional with mules and horses and donkeys. If you're not a good human being, it's going to show up in the mulemanship somewhere. So, pick your friends. And uh, a, a good friend can make all the difference, you know. One of my favorite things um, from last week was actually riding with Sky's dad, Larry Pincock. And I've been trying to get him on this podcast for a long time, and he's uh, he's a little shy. But maybe one of these days we'll sneak him in here and press record before he knows it uh, <laughs> it's happening. But, you know, I really like riding with Larry because, you know, we don't just poke down the trail. In fact, Larry is rarely on the trail. And if you've ever ridden with me, then you know that applies to me too. But that's because he kind of inspires me. I, I kind of get that from him. You know, I've seen the quality of meals that he can make by asking them questions. And he he's really good at getting his mules to say yes. And it comes from riding over there through those trees, riding over there through those rocks, over those logs, over that deadfall, you know, weaving in and out of, you know, coming coming back to the trail with a group and then going back out by themselves. And, you know, he rarely has issues with herd-bound mules because he's always coming back and then going out and back and forth. And timing is good so that he can fit the mule. You know, so that's inspiring. You know, um, I read with other people. I've had, you know, uh, Jim Huggard on the podcast before. You need to listen to his episode if you haven't already. I can't remember the episode number, but just scroll back a little ways. You'll find Jim Huggard on there. You know, but that guy really appreciates really good cowboy gear. And, you know, watching him and the stuff he uses and how he uses it and the gear he builds and makes is pretty cool, you know. And there's a few other people. Joe G. I've had Joe on the podcast as well. He was there last week with me. And, you know, Joe is so good at making you feel like you matter, like you are a valuable person in this world. And it's just really cool. You know, I've never hung out with Joe and left um, feeling down or not feeling better about myself. He's just really good at making me feel like a good human being. And I want to be like that too. You know, I hope when you guys hang out with me that you leave and you're like, man, I, I felt good hanging out with that Thai guy. He was he was a good guy and I felt good being around him. So the friends they hang out with make such a big difference, you know. I'm blessed to have an amazing wife. A lot of you know Skye. Yeah, she's just incredible. She's the backbone of everything that we do here. Um, if you've ever sent in a, a message via social media, I uh, guarantee it, it's probably Sky answering it because I don't do a lot of social media. Sky handles most of that, and she's just incredible. But above all, she's just a fantastic human being. She's just a great person. She's always smiling. And if you've been around Sky, you know she's also always giggling. She's very giggly. In fact, I, uh, back in her school days, grammar school days, she won best giggle <laughs> in the school award. You know, she's just a giggly gal, and it's pretty fun. And, you know, uh, you just can't help but leaving, hanging out with Sky, you know, not feeling better. Um, anyway, so that's my mule tip Tuesday for you is to 
pick your friends or be the kind of friend that good people pick you. And, um, yeah, bring out the best in people. You want to be somebody that, that, uh, makes everybody else feel like they matter. So, okay, let's jump into some questions here. I got a lot of really good questions today and, um, I appreciate you guys sending in these questions to remind you, if you don't already know, if you have a question that you would like answered here on the show, just send me an email, ty at tsmules.com, put in the subject line, Mule Tip Tuesday question, and we will put it on the list and get to it, I promise. Okay, so first question comes from Alexis Vaughn. I see a lot of people talk about mules, quote, sing what they can get away with, end quote. And I know that this is starting to be proven to be false. Can you explain this a little bit more? What do you think is happening in the mule's brain when people say they're just trying to get a, get away with things? All right, Alexis, that's a great question. First thing I'd like to mention here is it's really cool, the, the science and the studies that have come out about the horses, the mules, the equine brain. If you, if you haven't already done this, I'm going to give my, uh, one of my favorite books a shout out, um, Evidence-Based Horsemanship, and it's written by Dr. Stephen Peters and uh, Martin Black, who's a, a great cowboy, good hand. Um, and they did some studies and some research, and they talk about the horse brain, and if you haven't looked them up, you need to, uh, because it's just really cool. Um, Long story short, it's important to know, and this has been proven, this is this is not even a debate anymore, this is a fact, equines lack a large frontal lobe, okay? That's the part of their brain that is in charge of abstract thinking, that's in charge of planning ahead, like the human. We have a large frontal lobe, and we're, we're really... Uh, concerned about the future. Every human is, you know, usually, you know, thinking about the future. What's for dinner tonight or maybe planning for your retirement. It could be that diverse, right, uh, of how far in the future we're thinking. That's because we have a large frontal lobe. That frontal lobe also does this planning and conniving. That's why the human can be, that's why we can be so vile and so wicked, right? We can plan bad things. And, uh, you know, the mule is just not capable. They don't have that large frontal lobe. They're not capable of planning and saying, oh, I wonder what I can get away with today. So what's happening, because I've heard that a million times too, Alexis. People say they just want to see what they can get, get away with. Okay. They will do what is easiest above all. Okay. They're going to do whatever is easiest. And don't forget they are animals and they have instincts. Instincts like eat, you know, um, rest and digest and relax and reproduce and all these things, they have instincts. Um, and without us helping them and mentally engaging them, they will just go back to the instincts. And like I said, above all, they will do whatever is easiest. Sometimes we don't realize the pressure that we are putting on a mule. We don't understand what constitutes pressure. It could be actual physical pressure. For example, picking up on your rein using your leg, bumping with your heel of your boot or your spur, um, whatever it is, physically you, you can add pressure. You, you can have pressure 
subconsciously, um, or maybe it is consciously, you're, maybe you're scared. Maybe you're nervous. Maybe you're overly excited. Maybe you're too excited, right? So you can ha- put pressure on the animal without actually touching them. You ever, I, I, I got a friend of mine that is high energy and I've watched him catch mules or try to catch mules. He'll walk out in the pen and he's just really excited. And you can just see the energy, the life in his body. He's just a happy guy, but too much. Like he, he goes in there with too much life, too much energy. And the, he drives the mules off. Even some of the best to catch mules, he'll drive them away because there's too much energy. He didn't even touch them. And he can put pressure on them. You can put pressure on them just by positioning your body one way or the other. You can you can stop them. You can send them. You can put pressure on them by talking. I, I, I people yell at their mules so often. Um, people talk to their mules, and I talk to my mule too. Um, but a lot of people are very vocal with their mules, and they talk too much. And in that noise, that voice can be a pressure. A lot of people use voice commands. That's pressure. Okay, so, so sometimes we don't realize what we're doing that may be causing the mule to do that thing. One thing that drives me the most crazy is we, we have a mule named Tina. Okay, now Tina is a fantastic mule, probably one of the best mules I've ever owned. Just a great all-around mule, okay? I can ride Tina all day, and she will not even attempt to take a bite of grass while we ride. And I don't let my my mules eat when I'm in the saddle, or if I got my hand on the lead rope, they're not eating. And she won't even attempt it, not even try it. But yet, I hand her over to Ellie or Swayze, my daughters. They're six and eight years old at this time. And, uh, you know, Ellie or Swayze will ride Tina, and that fat mule will <laughs> just eat the whole stinking ride, pull on the kid's reins the whole time. Now, somebody that doesn't understand be like, oh, that mule's just trying to, you know, it knows it can get away with it. Well, it's not that cut and dry. It knows that it can do that. And it, and the mule is, since it's not really that mentally engaged, especially like when Swayze rides, Ellie's a little busier at this time, but Swayze just kind of sits there. So the mule doesn't get a lot of mental engagement, doesn't get asked a lot of questions. And so that mule will click over the instinct. The mule says, I'm hungry. The mule says, I'm going to eat. The mule says, I can, because the kid doesn't block me or stop me or redirect me or say no or whatever. It's not that the mule's trying to take advantage. That's one of my favorite things about the mule. And I don't know why more people don't enjoy the mule and horse that way is, is they're not a creature that takes advantage. That's one of my favorite things about hanging out with mules and horses and donkeys is because they do not do that. They don't take advantage and they don't see what they can get away with. So sometimes it, Alexis, it's just more of us being aware of what we're doing to cause the mule to do that. Sometimes it's just making it, we've made it too easy to do it. We've made it too easy to, to run away, made it too easy to buck us off, made it too easy to not go, um, cross water, whatever. There's a million examples, but, um, they will do whatever's easiest. So think about what you're doing to make it easier. What, you know, in this example, what people are doing to make things easy for the mule to do what they do. Thank you for the question, Alexis. Let me know what you think about that. Next question comes from my pal, Lisa Taka. 
Um, her question is about the hackamore um, and proper placement of the bozelle on the mule's nose. So uh, she's been trying to get a hackamore that fits and trying to get it to adjust it correctly. So here, here's the deal, Lisa, on the adjustment of my bozelle on the nose. And for, for those that, uh, if you don't know, when I, when I talk about a hackamore, I'm talking about a traditional hackamore, not the mechanical crap. I'm talking about a traditional hackamore, which is your bozelle, a makati, and a hanger, okay? And these hackamores, these bozelles are made up of, you know, typically rawhide or leather. That's what I use, and that's what we're talking about here. So placement of it. Number one, I want uh, the, the nose button to uh, to sit on bone. Okay, so if, if the nose button is too low, it's going to be sitting on that cartilage. Okay, it's going to be sitting on the soft stuff. You don't want it on the soft stuff. You want it up on the bone. And you'll kind of feel where those bones um, come down into the nose there. You want it up just a little bit more. Basically, the nose button will sit exactly where your halter sits. If it's adjusted correctly now not having your halter hung down on the soft stuff either because a lot of people do that they let that nose band on a halter hang down the soft stuff i want that on bone as well my halter the work i do my halter will lead to my hackamore work and i want it adjusted correctly so that's where the nose band goes okay now down to the wraps where your makati is wrapped around uh the bottom uh, the heel knot, just above the heel knot of your bozelle, okay? Between the chin and your top wrap, you should be able to fit two fingers, okay? And you have enough room there. By, by having it two fingers below the chin, you have enough room there so when you draw on your reins, maybe to pick up a soft feel or to ask for a backup, that hackamore, the bozelle, will shift, will shift back to where it can pull basically to to the jowl okay now some as far as as where so, some people will adjust from different points um, and I've heard all kinds of things and and it depends on the animal and their conformation of their head uh, some say they want it halfway between uh, the nostril and the eyeball okay but like if if, uh, if you guys see pictures of Riata, Riata's in the Hackamore right now. She's going to be in the Hackamore probably six more months-ish. Um, now, she's got a really long head. She's got a big old jug head. Um, I don't really want that Hackamore to... It, it won't really fit halfway between that exactly, okay? Um, it's going to sit kind of down on the lower third of that head. Uh, just because her head's a little longer and she's got a real big cheek. And and uh, so it's not quite halfway exactly. And and you don't have, none of these things are going to be exact for your mule, Lisa. Um, an, another good measurement that a lot of people take is four fingers from the nostril to the bozelle. And then down to the lip, one to two inches away from the lip. That's another good adjustment there. Um, and, and it just kind of depends on, on that. Now you want that bozelle to fit just like your halter, you know, the, uh, each side should be touching the animal. It should just fit that nose just like a hat. 
Um, you don't want big old gaps of air between the nose or between the cheeks. Um, uh, so, some some people will have them adjusted to where the nose button is on the bridge of the nose, but then there's big gaps on each side of the nose. And you don't want that. You want it to fit kind of like a teardrop oval shape around that nose, just like a hat. You just fit right on there. So anyways, those are a few measurements you can, you can take, Lisa. Uh, let me know what you think about that. And you're going to be in the clinic coming up here in Canyon City. We're just getting ready to load up and uh, head to Canyon City, Colorado here. And uh, Lisa, you're going to be there. So I'll help you out then too. Okay, great question. And and I'm really impressed. It's, it's been fun this past year. There's a lot more people being interested in, in the hackamore and making bridal mules. So going from the snaffle bit to the hackamore, then to the two-rain, then the bridal, it's pretty cool. So keep up that great work, Lisa, and everybody else out there that's doing this. Good job. Good job. I love to see the progress. Okay, um, next question is from Roseanne Hunsaker. Um, I contacted you recently about a mule I just purchased. I've started groundwork with them. Um, I just had a question. Molly is reactive, but Missy is less responsive. How do I adapt the groundwork lessons for an unresponsive mule? It seems obvious that with Molly, I'll just go slower, but I don't know what to do for Missy. I'm following your everyday mulemanship series on your video library. I got through weeks one and two just great. I started week three, which is lateral flexion from the ground. Missy was responding and seemed to be picking it up. But when working with Missy, I would slide down the lead rope, uh, then hold it out and wait and wait and wait. Sometimes it would take five minutes till she turned her head even the slightest. What do I do? Okay, when it comes to lateral flexion, Roseanne, that's a great question. Um, and you can basically apply these lessons to anything, okay, I any part of it. But when they seem dull and they just sit there like that, Especially like these mules have already been worked with and rode and handled and whatever. Um, so they may be dull to some of that feel. So let's just use the example of, of five pounds of pressure. So you're, say you apply five pounds of pressure on that rein to ask that mule to bend laterally, left or right. And that five pounds means nothing. Like they just, they've been pulled on so much with more pressure than that, that five pounds means nothing. Now, yes, you did good there. Wait in five minutes. I mean, wow, that's a lot of patience. That's incredible patience. Um, and yeah, you, you could totally wait. You could wait longer. There's a, there's a kind of a general rule of thumb that says don't pull longer, just, or, or excuse me, don't pull harder, just wait longer. Um, and you could definitely do that, but sometimes when they're so dull, you got to do more to be effective. So if five pounds doesn't work, well, then I, I might pick up and sit, pick up six pounds of pressure, for example. But here's the key to get these mules more responsive and answering your questions quicker. You're, you need to be faster with your release, with your reward. You got to be quick. And one thing I like to do with a mule like this, Roseanne, is ask smaller questions. So instead of trying to get that mule to bend to 90 degrees in one shot, I might say, can you just 
barely just tip your nose just a, just an eighth of an inch, just just barely even measurable. And and then the other thing I do is once they respond to that, I actually push rain to them. See, a lot of people just take more. They'll get a little bit and they'll take it back. They'll take more of it. I always give more than I take. So I ask a little bit and I'll push that rain back to that mule immediately, the littlest try. And I'd be really quick about it. And uh, you just look for any opportunity to reward that mule and they will get looking. So, um, you know, the other thing I do quite a bit of to, before that lateral flexion that might help you is actually get to working on your circles on the ground in your groundwork, build that circle. And, and then from the circle, you can bump on the nose with a little timing. When the inside hind leg is coming off the ground, you can give the mule just a little bump on the nose. As long as it has that timing, if you're out of time, you're going to ruin the mule doing this. But if you got good timing, you will see amazing results really quickly. And you can build some lateral flexion while you move. And that actually leads me to another question. I'm going to go right into it. Um, thanks, Roseanne, for that question. Let me know what you think. But I got another question here uh, from Scott Nichols about lateral flexion, okay? Scott wrote in, doing groundwork, when we try to roll the hinds, she flexes better on the right than the left. She's not bending or flexing to the left, just keeping her neck straight. And one of his questions was, does that cause her to drag a, the inside foot instead of stepping across? Yes, it does, Scott. It, it will cause that. So he's asking, do you recommend gentle bumping to improve lateral flexion? or work on improving lateral flexion without rolling the hinds, or both. So, Scott, what I was just telling Roseanne is exactly what I do. So in that circle, as you're going around to the left, and you're trying to build some lateral flexion here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to time up with that left hind leg as it's leaving the ground. Okay, so as that foot is leaving the ground, I can give just a little bump, and it doesn't take much. It's pretty gentle, pretty easy, pretty simple, but I'll... I'll uh, just give that mule just a little bump. And when it has just a little lateral flexion, I'll, I'll give back. And I still, I push my rein back. One of the biggest things I see every week, every clinic, is people take more than they give. There's a lot of takers out there. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. So always give more than you take from that mule. So if you give it a little bump, push that rein back. When that mule finds the answer, push that rein back. Tell that mule that they are doing amazing. So that's a good question, Roseanne and Scott. Thank you both. Let me know what you uh, what you both think about that lateral flexion work and suggestions. And, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and thank a couple of sponsors right now. And when we come back, i got some more questions. So hang tight. I need to thank my friend, Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA, right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A-M-I-N. Romanhome.com. And uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you. 
Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colt Naring. Um, if you're looking for a good custom built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Saddlery. You find him on Facebook, Colt Saddlery, and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. Okay, we are back with our Mule Tip Tuesday. A lot of really cool questions today. All right, this one comes from Jason Cordell. So he he's basically writing about a mule uh, that may or may not be broke to lead. So this is this is kind of the question here. I really enjoy your podcast and video library. I have a quick question regarding leading. I know you state that having a true lead broke, quote, handy mule, will solve many problems both in and out of the saddle. My question is, if a mule is completely lead broke, would you expect that mule to do any and everything you ask it to do on the ground without issue? Uh, I'm going to jump in here before I read the rest. Yes, for the most part, I, I would. If, they're, if, if, if I say it's broke to lead, you can send that mule anywhere you want. You're going to be able to go anywhere you want. But don't forget they're an animal too. So if they're if their self-preservation, if their, uh, if that overrides how handy you have them, I mean, doesn't, you know, it's going to be challenging. So it's not, you know, having them broke to lead is more than just getting them to go anywhere you want. It's also, to me, getting them with you to where they totally trust a human and they would go anywhere with you. So I'm going to go on here. Currently, I'm at a little bit of a crossroads. My 11-year-old John is pretty dang handy. 75% of the time, he loads without issue, and 25% of the time, he thinks the rear of that horse trailer is full of monsters with massive teeth and never-ending appetite for mule flesh. That's a good one. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a reason why sometimes he loads like a dream and others he doesn't. I've watched your loading videos, and the times he doesn't load, I use your methods, and it works perfectly after 5 to 15 minutes. However, last night... I loaded him, and he walked right in. I then backed him out and attempted to reload him. No luck. After almost two hours, he was shutting down on me, and I eventually put him back in the pasture and never did get him reloaded. That was the first time that I never convinced him to load. Very disappointed on my end. Tomorrow will be better. Any advice you have will be appreciated. Thanks. Okay, Jason. Um, now, the reason why he's loading good sometimes and then other times he doesn't is because it's just that familiar syndrome. <laughs> I've talked about that a lot of times when the mule is familiar, they, they're pretty good and, and they will, you know, comply and do what you want to do, go where you want to go, blah, 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 just fine until their self-preservation or until, um, their interests or until they figure out that it's easier to do something else. So that's kind of why that there's not that consistency. And like I mentioned earlier, I, I don't think I can ever get it 100%. I've never achieved 100% um, because it's kind of a partnership deal. I, I kind of work with the mule. I'm not just working at the mule, meaning I'm not just making them do this or that and, and whatever. But, you know, the trailer loading deal, if you can just do this one simple move, the very first step of the groundwork, and I've proven this 
hundreds of times at the clinics, but if you guys can just do one move of the groundwork checklist, the very first move, which is clearing the front, basically that means I could send my mule to the right or to the left and get them to leave with a reaching outside foot, clearing that front end. If I can get them to do that, I, I'm not going to have problems loading the trailer. I just, I'm not going to have that issue. And the better that gets, the better that loading is going to get. And you get to where you can send them anywhere. And um, so if I, if it was me, Jason, I would spend a lot of time going through that groundwork. Um, even way before you even get to like the trailer, for example, I'm going to, I'm going to do it way before. Uh, I'm going to do it maybe out in the round pen or out in the arena or even in his corral or out in the pasture. And then when I get to the trailer, I'm going to utilize that tool that I just created, that I built. you got to build that tool first. And then I'm going to make that trailer be a nice place of rest. Um, but yeah, you, you need to, uh, yeah, you, you need to work out that groundwork. That'd be my first suggestion. And then answering your questions. Yeah. If you're, if they're truly broke to lead under my standards of what I'm trying to reach, uh, I, I should be able to pretty much go anywhere I want. Um, you know, being realistic, right? I gotta be realistic here. So, uh, great question, Jason. Uh, let me know what you think, but that's pretty much what I'd work on clearing the front right there. Get that awesome and you'll be fine. All right. Natalie Garrett. She's got a horse called the governor. <laughs> that's one of the coolest names. The governor. Okay. The governor and I are still working on that forward movement. Now, Natalie came to a clinic with us uh, back in uh, Spokane in uh, June, first part of June. We've improved a lot since we saw you in Creston, Washington. But you know the governor. His favorite gate is to nap. <laughs> the horse was a little lazy. Um, we've been working on those transitions, slow, medium, fast, walk, and trot. I try to utilize the environment around me. Out on the trail, we have some options but I'm usually riding by myself in the arena during the week. Is there a way to turn up the transition exercise in the arena? How do I know that we're ready for the trot from the standstill? I feel like he understands what I'm asking, but the willingness isn't there. At this point, it seems like he's bored and I'm nagging. Maybe I'm spending too much time with transitions. I need to throw some other questions in randomly. Thanks in advance. All right. Okay, Natalie, great question. Um, the first, the first question you asked here is how do I know that I, how do I know that we're ready for the trot from the standstill? All right. So as soon as I am punctual at achieving the trot from the walk, then I can work at trotting from the standstill, but I need to be punctual first. If I, if I'm not punctual, if I can't get it right off from the walk, uh, I, I mean, trying to get it from the standstill is, is going to be pretty much impossible. So that answers that question. You got to get them punctual going into the trot from the walk. Okay. Now the second part of this is, uh, maybe I'm spending too much time with transitions and need to throw some other questions in randomly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is remember, you don't have to have it all fixed in one day. It doesn't have to be perfect in one day. You're just working at it a little at a time, building a little at a time, 
it's like training for a marathon. It's, it's like exercise. It's, you, you know, you know, you're trying to build muscle here. You're trying to build mental wellness here. Get this, get this horse in a good frame of mind to where they're, where the governor's willing. Okay. So just do a little at a time. Um, and then, yeah, you got a ton of work. There's always a million lateral moves to work on. It seems like you can't get them good enough rolling behind, rolling front. And by the way, the more punctual you have the governor, this horse at, uh, you know, the more punctual he is at this lateral work, the more punctual he'll be at the transitions and vice versa. So they work, they all go together here. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit there and hammer on it. And then don't forget too, you know, all, all of them are a little different. You know, the governor is this big drafty horse, big draft horse. He's a giant. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of them drafts, they're not, they're not bred to, they're not bred for traveling. They're not bred to get out and, and trot miles and miles like a quarter horse or, you know, lope for miles and miles like an Arabian, you know, um, they're, they're not, they're not bred for that. So you're going to get a little bit more of a, uh, of a really docile attitude towards forward movement. Uh, they're drafts. They're, they're made for working. They're made, you know, they're not made to for that big travel and move. So keep that in mind too, as you're working, every animal has a different work ethic and you can build a good work ethic, but just help that horse do the best that he can do. Good question, Natalie. Thank you very much. Let me know what you think about that. And I hope you're doing great up there in Washington. Okay. Next question comes from Megan Gillespie. My mule has been under saddle for the last three months at work doing guided rides. It's been really hot and busy. Today he was tough. When we were when we were telling rides, he kept trying to dip out and go back to the stable. I did circle him both directions, then we carried on. We have worked about 30 of the last 34 days. Is he just asking for a day off? Is he just trying to uh trying me like a kid? He leads rides great unless we see a bear. <laughs> um okay. I'll answer one part of that. And I've already answered uh, in this, in this episode, Megan. Um, no, he's not just trying you like a kid. Um, although they will do whatever's easiest. So if you're presenting things to be easy for him to go back, he will. And you don't necessarily have to present it to be easy to go back, but sometimes you make it difficult to stay. And that's the reason they want to go. So keep that in mind. Um, make sure you're making it easy to stay. Uh, and is he just asked for a day off? Well, you know, these cults, um, they do need soak time. You know, I mentioned Dr. Stephen Peters earlier in this podcast and I've, uh, I've actually invited Dr. Stephen Peters on the podcast and, um, he said he would come on here and, uh, but we haven't, haven't heard back from him about when we can get him on here, but hopefully one of these days we'll get him on here. You know, but one thing I learned from him is about how long it takes to to create and connect these dendrites in their in their brain here. Um, and it takes a couple of weeks to a month to do that. And that's that's making all the connections in their brain so they can kind of, long story short, build a memory. And, you know, of course, he could explain a heck of a lot better than me. He's the neuroscientist, not me. But sometimes just working and riding and riding these cults, they don't really have a chance to let it all sink in and really learn. Um, 
And it doesn't take them long to learn that going out is just a bunch of work. So if you if you go out every time and you make it just a bunch of work every time and there's not a lot of rewards in there, then they will get to where that stable will be much more tempting. Now, people come riding with me and they're like, okay, Ty, hold on. It seems like you work your mule the entire ride. And I say, well, I do. But notice the parts where I give them relief and let them find that release. Um, I ask them questions the whole time, but then I let them soak and I leave them alone for a little while. Then I ask them a question again. It's those small questions, big rewards continually that keep my mules really interested. Now I got a mule colt I'm working right now named Hannah. I've mentioned her a few times on this podcast. Uh, she's going to have about the, she's going to have the, the rest of the fall off pretty much. Um, but that colt is so smart, and I've really tried hard to ask her small questions, let her have big rewards, and that mule is just one of the happiest mules I've ever worked with. Um, just absolutely loves going. Um, and I got about I got about 22 rides on her now. I'm going to leave her alone. She's going to have 10 weeks off here. So I would recommend with these colts, work them for a little while, give them some time off. Now that doesn't work for every colt. I got another colt here named Dally. And if you've been following along, I've done some Dally diaries this year and, uh, Dally's had quite a bit of time off and this summer just kind of saddling her, leave her alone. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to leave her home this fall. I've decided, um, and then kind of just begin again. Now I gave her quite a bit of time off this spring and it didn't go great for me. And the reason was, is she was not in a good place mentally. I was riding the crap out of her, to be honest. I was just really working that mule, and I don't feel like I did a great enough job at letting that mule have a little bit of a break. She was, She's a touchy mule. She's a little bronchy. And so my thought was, hey, I need to ride, ride, ride. I need to put lots of miles on. You, you've all heard the saying, a wet saddle, wet saddle blankets makes a good mule. Well, I had a lot of wet saddle blankets on that mule, I promise you. And it wasn't good enough. You got to get them mentally engaged. Now, trailing, you know, uh, or, or excuse me, doing these trail rides and just kind of telling these rides, hanging out in the back. Um, now, if you're engaging the mule, asking some questions, and then leaving him alone, he's going to get to where he enjoys coming out with you. Um, so you kind of got to get some mental engagement and, you know, do less sooner. So instead of getting into a fight there when the mule wants to go back, do less sooner. Now, one thing you can do less sooner, or one way you can do less sooner, rather, is, you know, at the stable, do a little bit of work. And then as you go out, do less work. That doesn't mean you don't ask questions, but you do less work, offer bigger rewards. So basically, it just needs to be easier for that mule to go out. All right, good question. Thank you. All right, next question comes from... Scott Poindexter, okay? Please discuss developing and asking for the stop when starting a colt under saddle. I understand to sit down and take my legs off first, but then what do I do with my reins if he continues moving forward? I know not to pull on both reins at the same time, so do I lateral bend him to a stop and release once he's soft? Please describe what you do. Thanks for your help. Okay, Scott, um... One of the main mistakes that we make when trying to 
get the mule to stop off our seat is asking for it too soon. Now, the stop is something that's just fascinating to me, and it, it just really clicked with me last year on the whole process of building a stop. If, if any of you listening were like me growing up, you were told, well, you want to turn left, pull left. You want to turn right, pull right. You want to stop, pull back. You want to back up, pull harder. <laughs> okay, that's, that's how you might have been taught how to handle your reins, okay? There's so much more than that. And building the stop, it, it goes way back. And I get so many calls. People call or they email or they ask, how do you how do you build a good stop? And I'll ask them questions like, well, how, how well is your groundwork? And they say, well, sorry, to, uh, I'm past the groundwork. I, I'm working in the saddle. How do I get a good stop in the saddle? And I say, well, well, tell me how your groundwork is. And they're like, well, it's fine. I, I, I don't really do it much anymore. I'm past that. And, you know, you begin to build your stop on the ground, your very first move. And I've already mentioned it here in this episode of clearing the front, getting that outside front foot to reach out and back and away from you and sending that mule two or three steps and then stopping. You you begin to build your stop right there. That's where it all begins right there in the very, the, the very first moments of your groundwork. And then as you move along through the groundwork, one of my favorite sections is is basically the fence work and during that fence work you teach that mule to stop basically on the mark at, at a fence post or at a specific spot that you've chosen and if you're not familiar with that fence work you go to my video library tsmules.com and you can find it there but the fence work that is probably the main course of teaching your mule to stop when you quit that's just such a huge piece right there. And there's so many people that don't do the fence work because they say, you know, I, I, I can just get on from the ground. And that's fine. Me too. I get on from the ground. All That's, that's I mean, mostly how I get on. 99.999% of the time, I get on from the ground. But guess what? All my mules that are riding, they know how to pick me up off of a fence. And I taught them how to do that by teaching them first how to stop at the fence. When I quit, without having to block them, Getting the mule to stop on a loose rein. Now, one thing that blows a lot of people's minds is I actually, when I pick up on my rein and engage, I'm actually asking the mule to do something to move. When I'm, when I quit, if I was to drop my rein, especially in the snaffle bit stage, that means stop. And, and that just blows a lot of people's minds because, right, we were taught to pull on them to stop. But they should stop when you quit. And it begins on the ground. Now, when you get in the saddle, your lateral stop is is so crucial. And there's so many people that don't practice that. They say, well, you know, I don't, I don't really like the lateral stops. You know, I don't really agree with lateral stops, blah, 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 whatever. It, it's a good, it's a really effective way to teach a mule to stop when you quit. Now, I don't recommend the lateral stop for emergency stops and all these things. I, it's not really effective that way. But to teach a mule to stop nicely when you quit and find that loose rein, and the, the release comes, the full release comes when they put slack in that rein for you. That is the key there. So my lateral stop, the first part of my lateral stop, I'm actually asking for movement. So I've got my mule, say I, I've got my rein, my right rein picked up. And, and the mule's bent to 90 degrees. And I actually roll the hinds, stepping the right hind leg over in front of the left hind leg, three steps, take off my leg. I sit down on my pockets. 
I take off my leg, I sit down in my pockets, but I keep my rein until the mule stops its feet and it finds softness, lightness in the rein. Once they're slacking that rein, I let go of the rein. That's the full release. So they learn how to quit and soften there. Now, a lot of people get the stops, they just get the, the, the feet to stop moving, but the body never stops. Now, that might not make sense to you. You're thinking, well, how can the body move when the feet aren't moving? Well, I call it the slingshot syndrome, okay? That's when basically you're holding the mule back. And if you know if you you know that if you let your reins down, you put your reins down, that mule's just going to move. How many times have you been there? If you're listening, you're probably shaking your head. Yep, I've been there. And so I, I teach them to find a true stop through that lateral stop. That's the way I teach it. You know, the other great way of teaching a good stop Basically, the next part of this process of teaching a good stop is to get them to hurry up and slow down. Basically, my transitions, the more punctual I can shift down from a lope to a trot, a trot to a walk, a medium walk to a slow walk, any of those things, all your transitions, the better you can shift down, the closer you are to having a nice stop. The other thing I work on following that is being able to pick up a soft feel and then putting my heels down, sitting slightly in my pockets and getting a, and getting a stop like that. So I kind of take my legs off, heels down, sit in my pockets while I'm holding that soft feel. But prior to that, I've got to where I could pick up that soft feel and slow down from like a trot to a walk and from the lope to a trot with the soft feel. And that's a great way to build some collection. And I usually go right into the backup after I use that method. But I don't just pull on them, and I don't quit if they're not ready. Asking your, asking your questions at the right time is crucial to building a good stop. If you, ask, you might be asking a good question like stopping, but you're asking at the wrong time when they're not really with you, and you're not going to get anything good out of that. So getting them ready to stop is probably the most important part of all of it, is make sure that they are ready to stop. Now to answer your question, if I'm in that situation where I kind of sit down and I put my heels down, the mule doesn't stop. What do I do in that, in that scenario? Yeah, you're right. I don't pull on them. If they're ignoring me, I'll go on. I might trot. If I'm going down the trail, maybe I trot a half mile down the trail. If I'm uh, in the arena, I might trot or lope some circles and then ask again later when they're when they're a little bit more ready. And if it fails again, then I go back and I go back to my lateral stops or I go back to my soft feel, my stops, and I prepare that way. But the main thing is I want to make sure my mule is ready. So hope that helps you, Scott. That's a great question. Let me know what you think of that. All right. Okay, Tammy Brewer. This is Sky's cousin. Uh, Tammy's got a 14-week-old mule, okay, and uh, when her grandchildren go out to visit, uh, the mule gets a little nippy, so she's asking what to do. Um, so a lot of times the, the foals will nip at you, Tammy, because they're just curious and, and it's just normal for them. If you've ever, ever seen a bunch of foals together, they're constantly biting each other and kicking each other and rearing up. And kind of doing this little play fight. And you don't want them doing that with you now. Or definitely not your grandkids. So if I notice the, the foal is getting lippy. Okay. I'll back up just a moment. First thing I'll say. The easiest way to get him not to bite. Is to have excellent timing. 
and redirect them when they get lippy or when they're about to get lippy. Notice that. Redirect that movement. Um, you know, and I recommend with these foals, especially when your grandchildren are around, especially, be handling this foal with a halter and lead on. That way you can redirect the foal, do something about it, and they're not just out there with your grandkids where they can bite and kick and run over and rear on or whatever. So make sure you're doing this with a halter and lead rope, okay? But if you can have timing and redirect that thought, you don't have to smack them, you don't have to hit them, you don't have to do anything rough or major to them, just, just redirect that movement, okay? But say you kind of miss out on that timing and the, the, the full gets lippy. One thing that's I found very effective is I'll just rub that those lips, so kind of their mouth. When If they get lippy, I'll really rub that mouth hard, usually with my knuckles or be kind of a little bit abrasive with my hand and just kind of, uh, you know, so I'm not just petting that mule, not, you know, kindly. Um, I'm not hitting the mule. Don't hit. You, you'll regret doing that. Um, you'll kind of shoot yourself in the foot for future progress on a lot of things if you get smacking on the foal. But I, I might just rub that mouth or, or be a little abrasive on those lips with my hand to where the mule finds it not desirable to be lippy. And I want to be able to handle those lips, open that mouth. So make sure you don't do too much to where you are detrimental to that either. Um, and by the way, the better I found that I can handle that mouth, open that mouth, move those lips, the less lippy they are, uh, you know, in general. So those are a couple things I do, Tammy. Good question. Okay, our last question of today is from Tina Entzin. Oh, man, I don't know how to say that last name. Tina says, uh, She's got a, got a mule, 14 hands. Uh, her saddle has drop riggings, so that rigging ring is a little lower. Uh, using a 24-inch cinch, but I've had issues with it getting in the armpits and galling. Any suggestions? I start with a saddle back and bridge and tight. Yeah, okay, that's an easy one, Tina. Um, so as far as cinch size goes, I don't want the buckles of my cinch. So if you're looking at your, your buckles of your cinch, uh, typical, typically they're a D-ring buckle, okay? If you're looking at a D-ring buckle, the flat side of that D, which is face down, right, on your cinch, it should be above the mule's elbow. I don't want that, I don't want that, the ring of that cinch below the mule's elbow on either side. So that's how you can kind of check your cinch size. Now, uh, my saddles don't have riggings that are dropped down low, um, but I, I typically use a 28-inch cinch. And uh, on some of my bigger mules, like Riata, she uses a 32. Um, but it kind of depends on how your, your rigging sit there for sure. Now, one thing, if you're getting that uh, cinch in the armpit, the mule's barrel is probably too big, so it could probably use a little bit of, a little more riding. Um, but to keep that cinch back, I've often recommended using a second tug. So my main tug goes to my rigging on my saddle. And that's primarily what I use all the time. Okay. Um, but if if I'm having problems galling or if I see people having problems galling, I recommend them putting on a second tug. Now, I keep the main tug on your rigging ring. That's going to keep your saddle back. I don't use my main tug on the cinch because then it just keeps your cinch back, but your saddle can still slide forward on the shoulders. And that's not desirable. So I would recommend adding a second tug and that will keep the cinch back out of the armpits and uh, keep from going. So good question. Let me know how that works for you, Tina. Thank you. These were a lot of good questions today. Thank you, everybody that sent in these questions. If you have a question, send it to 
ty at tsmeals.com. Make sure you put in the subject heading that uh, it's a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, and we'll get to it, I promise. We will we will either answer it on the email or answer it right here on Mule Tip Tuesday. So I'm very grateful. And, and thank you for listening today, for hanging out with me. Um, if you appreciated uh, today's episode, I would be grateful if you would leave a five-star rating and uh, leave me a review. Let me know what you think. Tell me your favorite episode. Uh, leave your thoughts, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, we're getting ready to head out on our 10-week tour here coming up. We're starting in Colorado, and we head all the way east to Virginia uh, and all the way south to Texas, uh, north to Wisconsin, and everywhere in between. We've got a lot of great clinics coming up. You can find a full list of our clinics on our website, tsmules.com. Can't wait to see you at a clinic somewhere down the road. And until next time, God bless.